Section 17 of Open the Door. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Open the Door by Catherine Carswell. Book 2, Chapter 3, Part 2. 6. That Friday, a telegram was handed to Julie at breakfast. Telegrams did not make her nervous but always before reading one she would close her eyes and utter within herself a brief prayer for strength in case it should be god's will to try her she did so now lynette and joanna waiting impatiently but immediately she had read she took off her spectacles and her face was irradiated by a tender beaming smile dear warm-hearted georgie she exclaimed bright-eyed she read georgie's message aloud must join you dear people and say good-bye darling sholto arrive to-morrow morning love georgie for a moment joanna's heart sank how was she to get on with her designs amid the upheaval of georgie's visit and sholto's prolonged leave-taking there was always something at home to keep one from working yet she too was pleased at the thought of the family reunion she would have been disappointed had a second telegram came from georgie annulling the first that morning instead of drawing she busied herself in her bedroom making it attractive for her sister she cleared some drawers and a space in the wardrobe and spent more than an hour polishing the long-neglected venetian glass toilet bottles with gilt filigree tops which had been madalena's wedding present and in the afternoon she flung herself with ardor into the making of several pairs of twilled silk pajamas she had cut out many weeks ago as her share of sholto's new outfit feverish and half frenzied in her determination to finish them then and there or at least to have one pair ready and laid out on his bed against sholto's arrival she was still sitting over the sewing machine at two in the morning joanna dear do go to bed now remonstrated her mother coming to the parlor door for the third time since midnight i'm sure you are keeping the neighbors awake that poor machine must need oiling i think it was true the old treadle machine which julie as a bride had received from aunt georgina and had felt as a reproach for she was no seamstress was making a clatter in the quiet small hours like the clatter of a stony field under the harrow but joanna though for some time past she had been finding the noise hardly endurable spoke without stopping her work or even looking round she merely slackened a very little don't worry about me mother she exclaimed fractiously above the rattle of the old singer if you'd only get to bed yourself it would please sholto and georgie far better than anything else you could do you know it would but of course you'll go on sitting up and distressing us all it's different for me i can sit up for once i don't want to be machining when they are here i can finish the buttonholes and things while we are talking but i must do the stitching now it won't take much longer the last few words were uttered almost in a shout as the girl sat tearing off again like mad upon a long trouser seam and the night was filled with the racket for a moment julie stood irresolute in the doorway 
then knowing by experience that joanna's obstinacy matched her own she went back sadly and without another word to her writing she was still fully dressed though heavy-eyed and weary for hours she had been struggling against sleep at her desk in the forlorn hope that contrary to all knowledge she might thus get clear and have a mind at leisure for her son on the morrow but within ten minutes she reappeared in the parlor with a happier face she had brought some eatables upon a little tray these she set down on the edge of the machine table smiling ingratiatingly at joanna and joanna looked up and smiled too and stopped working the night became at once blessedly quiet there were two glasses of milk some gingerbread a few raisins on a saucer and a small tin box containing a special kind of flaked chocolate which julie always kept in a corner of her desk mother and daughter ate almost in silence but happy together now with a delicious secret communion and acknowledgment even so julie in most things generous could not help being stingy towards joanna over the raisins and the chocolate they were always kept apart for herself alone and were sacred to her desk and her midnight labors in the morning georgie's train arrived so punctually and she took such an unusually fast cab that she was home almost half an hour before they had counted on seeing her joanna in her chemise when she heard the sound of wheels and with her hair still in a dishevelled plait flew downstairs without sparing the time even to throw on a dressing-gown on the landing half-way she ran into lynette he had only that moment rolled out of bed and was crumpled all over hardly awake yet his fair dank hair which no longer had any tendency to curl lay in ruffled swaths about his head and joanna was shocked by the dullness of his eyes with their blinking puffed lids how little she had looked at lynette lately what was he doing with himself where did his life lie he seemed to have so little part in the life at home but at this moment georgie's arrival took precedence of all these questions and the brother and sister having exchanged a hurried nervous glance started a race down the remaining flight of stairs pell-mell and laughing they went taking two steps at a time and they arrived together panting just as georgie threw down her luggage on the lobby floor after the first impulsive hugs the three stood chatting overwhelmed by a sudden shyness and uncertainty joanna took an overcoat of lynette's from the hat-stand and pulled it on over her chemise snuggling into it with a shiver for the early morning air was fresh no sholto hadn't come yet his train was due in about half an hour wouldn't georgie like a bath had she slept at all on the journey surely that was a new hat she was wearing but since when had she taken to veils carl nielsen said veils were so bad for the eyes especially veils with spots like that but how well georgie was looking wasn't she no no not flatter thinner on the whole and georgie declared that joanna with her pigtail and the loose short-skirted tweed coat looked just as she used to look at school but lynette my dear boy you look awful exclaimed georgie turning to her brother and pushing the spotted veil farther off her eyes what's wrong with him joanna 
georgie had that wounding habit of involving a third person a sort of dumb partner in her adverse criticisms haven't shaved that's all mumbled lynette putting his hand up to his face defensively think i'll go and have a wash now and he moved away from them and towards the staircase i hope you don't look like that every morning when you get up does he joey georgie called out after him in high good humor but just as she was about to hurl another elder sisterly jibe advising lynette to eschew all shades of mauve in his night attire a wail of distress came from the landing above all three young people turned up their faces it was their mother she leaned in her thick iron-gray dressing-gown over the banister opposite her bedroom door and was covering the top of her head with both her hands by her voice they knew she was almost weeping that isn't georgie she cried reproachfully no georgie i won't have you coming up yet you are too early your train isn't due yet by my watch and i put it right last night now that you are here of course it can't be helped but you must wait till poor mother puts her ficue on you children don't think having delivered herself julie disappeared into her bedroom and shut the door behind her georgie burst out laughing there's no place like home she averred delightedly everything is always the same why do i expect it to be different each time i come back but what was that mother said about a ficue joanna the younger sister explained julie's hair had lately become very thin upon the top it was difficult to dress so she had taken to appearing at breakfast with a white net ficue draped over her head and fastened with a brooch under her chin wearing this ficue which not only concealed her defect in a becoming manner but postponed indefinitely the daily purgatory before the mirror julie had seen herself greeting georgie in the lobby with outstretched arms and she was utterly disappointed at the failure of her welcome no don't come in she called out though she was half laughing at herself now as georgie opened the bedroom door but it was no use and the next moment her warm arms were round her child breakfast was happy and noisy and joanna taking part but always a little outside thought that surely there had never been such a pleasant family party she longed only for sholto to join them how entirely different from any other family they were was there not an atmosphere a charm impossible to explain she loved most of all her mother's puzzled face when any of them made a joke she could not follow the ficue was duly admired by georgie it makes you look foreign mother she said like a picture i have seen somewhere and she was right the simple drapery unspoiled by lace accentuated the breadth of julie's abruptly sloping forehead and with her rather prominent worn eyelids and her eyes of sad but unquenchable enthusiasm she might well have been one of durer's sacred women then the dining-room door opened quietly and sholto appeared janet the old cook had run to let him in before he could ring the bell and she stood behind him now smiling proudly at them all hello you people he exclaimed in his jolly rather slow young man's voice 
and joanna felt warm and shy all over it was only a few months since they had seen him last but the sister easily forgot while he was away that her little brother was a grown man now as he stooped to kiss his mother she stroked his cheek with earnest tenderness well son she said but the others were all over him chattering like so many daws doesn't he look a farmer just look at the color of his face sholto your neck is like a bull's another white pudding for master sholto please janet ordered julie smiling and trying to make herself heard above the din bairns bairns mother's ears are splitting but they paid no heed to her and as in the old days she mustered her flock and was heartily proud of them there they were her hands of gold and in spite of all eva gedge might say and might say truly the sight of them pleased her so she sat looking from one to another not following nor anxious to follow any of their talk lynette shaved and dressed was a different being his long narrow face showed pale certainly beside his brother's but he was the handsomer of the two and those somewhat exhausted features of his with the very broad shoulders long limbs and slender body so like his father's made a fine gentleman of him sholto half a head shorter was stocky with great thighs and calves his features seemed still unfinished but he had frank slow-moving eyes and was lovable he and lynette chaffed each other with awkward but observant affection as joanna watched them the thought of lawrence urquhart cropped up in her mind why had she asked him to call to-morrow she now had the idea that her brothers for some reason would look down on him they would even reckon the advantage they had in being academy boys while lawrence had only attended the high school georgie too was always an unsparing critic of her sister's friends she had once said that she could not was very sorry but simply could not get over femi pringle's commonness yet there it was femi was an artist in grade of soul where georgie was the vainest of amateurs and lawrence comparing him in her secret mind with her brothers joanna felt him to be a finer grain more compact and passionate with more purpose hidden in him but when it came as it happened his visit counted to joanna chiefly because of the piece of news of which he was the bearer louis pender lawrence was able to tell her was coming back to glasgow in a fortnight he was coming on the very day sholto's boat was to sail the committee after sharp disagreement had accepted two of his designs holding over the others provisionally it was indeed curious how intensely and secretly this knowledge infused itself amid the disturbing atmosphere of sholto's farewell it lurked for joanna in every preparation for her brother's departure and her agitation sought relief in a feverish practical energy for this at the moment there was plenty of scope there were for one thing the nerve-wracking shopping expeditions with sholto and julie both impossible shoppers sholto so hated any shop he entered that he always endeavored to escape without buying what he had come for it could be got to-morrow he would say or probably even better in australia when he arrived but julie proceeding with a slowness of mind and body that was an affliction to her children 
regarded each separate purchase as a campaign in itself she looked for advice of every shopman explaining all the circumstances to him with much reminiscence where she was an old customer and in every department she found that her son needed far more than she had at first thought necessary she strongly condemned what she called scamping ways of doing things and in most of the shops she considered it would be as well to replenish lynette's wardrobe at the same time it was a real pleasure to be a salesman if he could confront julie with an improvement or a new invention she could be carried away by an ingenious patent stud georgie on the other hand whatever the purchase had always seen something very much better and more convenient not to say cheaper in london and she did not fail to make these reproachful facts known to the glasgow shopkeepers this enraged sholto and he depended on joanna to make things easier for him after that first happy breakfast hour he and georgie had argued fiercely about everything particularly about politics and religion and one day upon joanna's suddenly taking sholto's side in the discussion georgie had burst into tears it was in the middle of dinner and georgie had rushed from the room calling out that nobody loved her now at home and that she would be glad to get back to london again at this sholto had sworn lynette had bolted his pudding and gone off to one of his eternal appointments and julie had sent joanna to comfort her sister and bring her back to the table soon all their nerves were on edge amid all this joanna found it so hard to go on with her designs that she almost gave up the idea of sending them in but the thought of pender acted here as a spur she believed that to be worthy of meeting him again she must live up to the loftiest standards of duty and this drove her to the desperate measure of early rising sometimes she too was able for an hour at a time to take refuge in nielsen's studio and her lofty standard it must be confessed did not prevent her acceptance of all the help he offered in one case without the least pang of conscience she allowed him to alter a drawing substantially and in the end her work was handed in well up to time just two days before sholto's sailing on that saturday they were a wretched little party down at the docks waiting about four hours with sholto already on the deck of the liner which seemed rooted to the wharf it appeared fantastic to believe that sholto was really going to that place called australia who had been the first to suggest such a preposterous thing but he was on board it was done lots of other people went and their friends and mothers were seeing them off calmly enough they must just pretend to be like the others it was an alleviation that georgie was not there after all she had returned to london four days earlier they all longed for the liner to move but nothing happened and nobody could give them any definite information except that passengers must remain on the ship and friends on the wharf presently lynette remembered quite suddenly that though it was saturday he had to call for something at the office and with a foolish wave of his hat towards the liner he went away but julie and joanna stayed on and on hanging about sometimes they walked up and down 
sometimes they rested on barrels or on coils of rope till they were chilled again by the march evening it was horribly sad and quite useless to wait but to have left now would have been like shirking one's watch beside a dead body it began to grow dark lights were hoisted on the masts of the ships and here and there on the wharf at last a man carrying a lantern came up to them and told that the start had been postponed till next morning early but all passengers he said must stay on the ship he promised to deliver the farewell notes they now wrote to sholto when that was done they left the wharf they were dropping with fatigue entering the first eating-house they could find in the dingy street which led from the docks they were brought a great black pot of tea piles of ready buttered bread and a dish of thick briny bacon with eggs though the fare was rough it was cleanly served and julie ate and drank greedily as she grew older and more prone to exhaustion food seemed to act more and more quickly upon her as a stimulant often now she would climb the steps at home so weary from shopping in the steep hill that she had to sink down on one of the lobby chairs with all her parcels still in her arms but if there was food ready for her she would devour it and feel immediately revived at the same time she always ate under protest she was growing stouter becoming heavy about the hips like her elder sister purdy but she had not purdy's agility she deplored her heaviness and tried to deny herself starchy foods but if there was one thing julie loved it was a potato early in the meal she would utterly refuse to partake of that vegetable then she would declare for just half a one for a treat and not to waste the gravy and after that when she thought no one was looking she would help herself to a small quantity time after time to make up for this sinful self-indulgence she would dose herself between whiles with patent medicines she had a dread of internal trouble especially of such kind as would involve any operation but it was illness not death that she feared she was quite ready she said when this heavy fleshy tabernacle should be worn out to go she did not wish to grow old and a burden in speaking of heaven she had still the face of a young girl but while julie restored herself there behind the wharf recovering energy with each mouthful in the sordid little shop joanna could hardly touch anything with mechanical persistence she kept trying to imagine the moving away of sholto's ship at dawn and could not she could only see it rooted there by the wharf for ever and ever it was like a nightmare she could not believe in australia nor in the ship's power to sail there nor in sholto's continued existence really she was delirious with exhaustion but she was not unhappy beneath the senseless whirring of her fatigue there was the knowledge of pender's coming it had been there hidden all day unexamined yet making life endurable and now it rose and rose till all her consciousness was suffused with it again and again she looked at the watch on her wrist the little gold watch with its milanese plated strap which mario had given her by now she thought his train has passed carlisle perhaps he is drinking tea in the restaurant car 
as she pictured him she could see exactly though she had never in his presence consciously noticed it the peculiar way in which his square fingers grasped the handle of a cup and the strong curve of his wrist as the sleeve slipped back a little by now he must be very near glasgow he must be gathering up his things now if he has come at all he has certainly arrived even if the train is later than it ever is he must be here will mildred meet him as he is going at first to stay with her or will he leave the station alone in a cab how long will he stay at panmere crescent before going to the studio cottage mildred is so proud of having found for him at carmanach but what did any of these things matter nothing it only mattered that after so many weeks he was already here that at this very moment he was in glasgow that he was breathing the same air that she breathed that some day soon she would see his square-fingered hands and feel his strange prominent eyes upon her end of section seventeen